Welcome to the Game Design Hacks. I'm Dale. And I'm Tom. In this episode, we break down Fez to see if it still stands up. And we also look into some of the things that were announced this year's E3. I can't wait. I can wait for a very short amount of time, but only this amount of time. Cue the intro. All right, welcome to episode eight of Game Design Hacks. All right, so Tom, what do you think of this year's E3? I kind of felt the same way that I think a lot of people have been feeling, which is underwhelmed. It did feel a little like there were uh, quite a few major players holding back a bit this year. Yeah, it's um, interesting to sort of think about, you know, whether this was a result of Corona or whether E3 is just sort of like losing a bit of its luster or, um, you know, if this is just continuing the trend of, you know, these sorts of shows uh, having diminishing returns. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really interesting trying to figure out why it is as it is. I guess maybe you're right. There might be a little bit of the, um, you know, Game companies have been hit by delays recently and maybe they're only sort of announcing their sure things and being a little bit more hesitant to talk about the roadmap um, ahead. Um, Everything seemed to be later this year or early next year with a few notable exceptions, but mostly those two sorts of things. Yeah. Well, I mean, it also just kind of feels like, you know, as a society, we're a little hyped out. It's, (laughs) uh, It's just hard to get the energy to be excited about anything. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. Um, and I guess depending on where you are, there's a certain amount of uh, you know you want to hear about the stuff that's in the in the near term as well. I guess. Um, so I mean, things that were a little further out. Um, there's a Guardians game which is coming from uh, you know the the Crystal Dynamics guys that gave the Avengers game. Um, yeah, this one's notable for being uh, a different model. It's not as a service. It's a strictly single player game. Uh, we've still got the weird-looking people, though, who don't look like the comic version and seem to have stolen the clothes of the MCU version. Yeah, are they sharing assets with another game? Or it's uh, <laughs> there seems to be like a Marvel video game look now. I think it's those guys did the Avengers one as well. So yeah, and that's also got the weird uh, B-list actor-looking people. Um, <laughs> It's kind of weird because you take a look at, say, the um, you know the Arkham games, and they did Batman at a time where Batman was huge at the cinemas, and it doesn't look like any other Batman's, and it has its own distinct style. And it only took you know a couple of minutes for you to reconcile the fact. Whereas I don't know the the Avengers. Every time I see the you know not Tony Stark, Tony Stark, it just kind of like weirds me out a bit. Yeah, I guess. DC's managed to maintain that very sort of comic booky thing through all its different media where, you know, each character and each story is like up to the interpretation of um, the, the creator. Like, you know, even think about how many different Batman movies there's been over the last, you know, decade or mm. so. Um, whereas like Marvel has been trying to unify everything into the single, single block. So... As soon as there's any sort of deviation from that, you're sort of struck with this, hey, this isn't the thing I'm familiar with 
feeling. Well, it would help if they didn't dress it in the thing I'm familiar with's clothing, I think. Because yeah. that's the thing with the Arkham games, is that Batman isn't going around in a, a in one of those uh, Christian Bale rubberneck bat suits. He's, he's going around in, like, some different cowl with a different sort of costume, and everything is distinct and has its own flavor whereas yeah looking at the trailers for this guardians game it's even using some of the same soundtrack and it's using very similar color scapes and you know it's i think a- it uses the same logo as well right yeah absolutely yeah yeah like you know even with the batman games like all the logos are sort of different enough you sort of know you're going into a different experience but yeah it's uh i think marvel's sort of been a little bit hamstrung by the the consistent branding yeah i i don't really understand why like why they wouldn't make it something distinct too because they've got you know various versions of their heroes and comic books and i mean you only have to look at spider-man and i know that he's only sort of mcu but you can have your spider-verse and you can have your um you know tom holland spider-man and you can have you know old versions with toby Maguire, and uh maybe you can have your andrew garfield i'm not sure about that one but you can mostly have various versions and people are mostly okay with it yeah so long as you um you kill uncle ben at the start that's the <laughs> the one thing they all have to have in common i don't think they've done that for the mcu spider-man yet so i mean watch this space yeah no i'm so glad they didn't so uh, that poor man he's died so many times well maybe we're yet to see it it turns out uncle ben is still alive in the mcu yeah like even batman stories of you know stop killing his parents quite so often uh i feel like i've watched a recent slow motion Zack snyder uh martha and thomas wayne uh death oh, yeah. scene with pearls dropping in an alley oh yeah <laughs> the pearls dropping it's symbolic see it's symbolic yeah. for the lack of parents that batman now has yeah we, we know where batman came from you don't need to explain it to anyone <laughs> <laughs> what, what what is this guy is this guy fighting crime like wh- won't his parents stop him yeah why is he a bat <laughs> i can't follow this at all <laughs> yeah um yeah, so I don't know. Uh, I'll I'll wait and see with uh, with that. I mean, I haven't given the Avengers a go yet, but mostly just because that style of game where it's open ended and they're always going to add more content. I mean, I like things that have endings, so I'm not really going to jump into something that is you know going to be long winded. I don't play a lot of games as service, so um, you know it, that's just a personal preference, I think. Although admittedly it hasn't seemed to have gotten them the numbers that they want no well, i mean i i don't think they'll they'll ever be satisfied with the the numbers that they want um mm. and you know well, i think we'll just continue to see disney sort of insert its tendrils into more and more existing platforms like you know we're gonna see disney skins in Fortnite forever um i think there's a jack sparrow <laughs> um, skin coming out in sea of thieves Yes. That was another E3 announcement. That so, is yeah. possibly some of the worst animation I think I've seen in a trailer. <laughs> like he, he, it was kind of like, yeah, no, it was weird. Like there was none of the eyes was there. Like Johnny Depp's performance always has like the weird darting about eyes, and you know it's it's over the top drunkenness. But uh, you know they put a little bit of the body animation in there too. But now the eyes were just dead. They were just unexpressive dead eyes yeah so maybe they did get johnny depp in for that as well (laughs) yeah 
That's that's how Daddy's eyes are now that he's been cut out of every major franchise. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, Met- Metroid uh, Dread, which was a surprise from Nintendo there. Um, you know, I, I'm optimistic with this. Uh, I played a little bit of the Samus Returns remake on the 3DS a while back, and, you know, it's, it's good. It holds up. Yeah, I haven't really played a whole lot of Metroid metroid games um like i think i played the one on the snes and what was the first person one that was like on the ds oh um yeah uh fusion was it metroid fusion that might have been it oh that might be the game boy one i can't remember sorry um but yeah no like i mean it looks exciting it looks like you know something new which i'm always a big fan of um Mm. so yeah I'm, i'm sure i'll pick it up yeah, it was really um, quite a surprise. I wonder if Metroid Dread was something they were working on when they decided to reboot Prime. Like, maybe that was the thing. They had something in Metroid Dread, said, you know, let's stick to this, but obviously not everybody's going to be on board. So yeah, let's uh, get the retro guys on Prime and, and make this Metroid Dread project. Look, I'm all for it. I think, um, yeah, it. I, I don't really... I want to like the Prime games, but I've never really stuck to them, and that's probably my fault. But yeah, when they do the Metroidvania 2D thing, um, you know, I'm I'm all for it. Um, And notably, a lot of uh, Metroidvanias have have come out in recent years. It's kind of taken off as a format. You've got Hollow Knight, you had the um, Shadow Complex games, which kind of really aped the metroidvania thing um yeah i'm, I'm for this uh so there's a uh, more news on our favorite franchise mario party yes yes there is a new mario party which uh their decision was just to take all of the old mario party mini games and boards and put them into one thing i'm actually looking forward to seeing what this is like i have a terrible feeling though that they're still gonna keep all of the really slow stuff in there the unskippable you know uh procedural do this then this then this then this for every term uh because some of the best features in the old mario party games was the ability to speed up the ai characters yeah well it'll be interesting to see if they they listen to our podcast or not and have taken our feedback on board i mean obviously they've listened to the podcast but it will be interesting to see whether or not they took the feedback on board yeah 100 percent um so also from nintendo uh no surprise here we saw a bit more of breath of the wild 2 but only kind of um this really felt like a they're not ready to show it yet kind of trailer um it felt like it was complimentary to the first trailer like you've just got a few more hints in there um it's maybe a little bit of gameplay, some interesting stuff with time travel in there. Um, yeah, what do you think? I thought the time travel was interesting. Like, you know, the that's kind of Zelda's thing is each subsequent game has a gimmick or a spin that they try and put on it. So you never, you never get like a purely straight sequel which doesn't introduce something sort of fundamentally new. Um, mm-hmm. I wonder if they're still working out the time travel side of it, which is why we sort of got so little of it. Mm. Um, but, you know, like, I mean, there's games that have done interesting things with time travel before, like, you know, uh, Braid comes to mind. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, we'll see, I guess. Yeah. I mean, uh, I think the Legend of Zelda series has 
had pretty much every flavor of time travel you can have, whether it's branching timelines or, uh, you know, phase shifting between two timelines or, um, you know, it, it would be interesting to see some stuff there. But, um, yeah, it's not like we haven't seen a lot of stuff in that particular um, there's a lot of time travel in, in the Zelda series, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, I yeah. I guess, like, uh, you know, time travel as a puzzle-solving mechanic. Like, you sort of had um, Majora's Mask where you're, like, in that time loop. But it'd be interesting if they had something where, you know, you had previous iterations of yourself that you were using to help solve puzzles. Uh, like the uh, misadventures of PB Winterbottom. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> the um, at photocopy, uh, time photocopy yeah. thing. That was quite cool. Um, yeah, yeah, I, I could see something like that. Uh, also, I note there was a point in the trailer where Link straight up phase shifted through a sky island. I mean, of course, there's the sky islands. That's pretty big. That uh, seems cool. Interesting. I didn't think they'd go back there after Skyward Sword, but, um, you know, they're bringing that out again too. So uh, it's cool, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I really wanted to see more of this. I was really hoping for a, uh, hey, guys, it's coming this year and it's going to be playable on the showroom floor. But, I mean, yeah, that was a bit of wishful thinking, maybe. <laughs> showroom floor. What am I talking about? There was no showroom floor. Uh, Treehouse, that, that one. <laughs> um, Microsoft and Bethesda Starlink. I missed this. Okay. What What is, what is this? Okay, so um, you know how... Bethesda is Microsoft now, mm-hmm. um, so they had a joint conference, and um, you know they showed off some of Starlink, which is Bethesda's new kind of open world, open sky game. I guess it's it's very much uh, well. I mean, it, it's it's a little bit uh, Skyrim with extra sky, maybe. No, uh, it's kind of <laughs> No Man's Skyrim. There we go. <laughs> Got there in the end. Yeah. Uh, okay. And- is it like open? An open galaxy game. I mean, we really, I guess? we really couldn't see much as, apart from like various sci-fi type things. You know, going through a few planets and entering a ship. Honestly, it looked a lot like No Man's Sky in trailer form. Um, you know, I, I don't know what you can do with spacefaring. Um, and then straight after it, uh, they showed off the trailer uh, teaser for um, Outer Worlds Two, um, which is Obsidian, uh, Beth- yeah. Bethesda's old running mate. But- the, the good one. Yeah. And um, <laughs> it seemed like it was mostly a piss take of the Starlink trailer somehow. <laughs> I- <laughs> well, it's uh, good that they've got their development pipeline so tight that if they can, like, take the piss out of another company in real time now. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that was really interesting. Uh, the Outer Worlds 2 trailer was pretty funny and then straight after that was guardians reveal so yeah they really went for a, a trifecta of sci-fi there um yeah and then they had the halo uh, multiplayer stuff which i mean it looks good but i mean it's halo multiplayer stuff so yeah no that's we've been playing halo multiplayer stuff for decades now mm. it's uh it's always gonna go down smooth but um i don't think we'll we'll ever really be surprised by it ever again no, but that's probably fine, right? I think, um, yeah. if anything, there might be, yeah, you know, it might be good to go back to some of those classic 
game modes after you know, what's been kind of a little bit of a battle royale uh, heavy couple of years in that space. Yeah, no, give, give me some Capture the Flag. Mm. Um, yeah, uh, we've then got Phantom Abyss, which is uh, by a uh, Brisbane studio that was announced during Devolver. I thought I'd highlight it here as, uh, you know, there's a couple of friends that are working on this one. Um, it looks really cool. It's a roguelike dungeon crawler first person sort of th- sort of thing where you're um yeah basically just it's like a gauntlet type thing or like a gladiator type thing where you've just got to go through these deathly dungeons in first person and you've got a grapple hook and all kinds of stuff like that it looks great um i saw it a couple of years ago while it was in its prototype phase and um i mean it exceeded my expectations in a lot of ways i'm really excited for it yeah no me too like um it it kind of has like a bit of a Fall Guys feel to it. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, I'm hoping there's still like an appetite for that sort of game. Like it's, it seems like a much more brutal version of, um, of Fall Guys. But uh. <laughs> yeah, yes, um, yeah. I think also, uh, yeah. I, I think that's a little bit of bad luck on their part too, because they would have went into this quite some time before Fall Guys's whole thing happened. Yeah, um, but you know, I think it's sort of like different enough and it has a different enough feel that um i I think there's probably different audiences for them Mm. i think the the devolver audience is like a bit different to your average full guys player yeah yeah for sure so maybe it is a a help thing or maybe it's a completely unrelated thing it will either help hinder or nothing it yeah are they the uh the fortnite to um Oh, what was the first one called again? The first Battle Royale game that everyone went mad for? Oh, uh, Pug B. Oh, uh, Pug B, yeah. Yeah, where you play as a short dog. Yeah. No, I feel like the, the dog aspect of that really held that game back from reaching the heights that Fortnite did. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people don't know that Pug B is short for Pug Battleground. Yep. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, like, a, you know, selfishly, because we, we know people that make it. Uh, hope, hope it... <laughs> hope it makes a million billion dollars yeah one million billion um yeah those guys are uh like flat out at the moment late late august oh no like late this month sorry yeah like late this month so that they must be 10 10 or so days away from launch so yeah check that out if you're listening now um or you might be one of them so good luck um another game that was announced at e3 was elden ring which is the from software collaboration with George R. R. Martin. Oh, excellent. Um, I'm glad to hear that George has got so much free time to contribute to other projects at the moment. He must have yeah. nothing important to release at all. Well, ever since he finished his TV show, yeah, he's... Uh... <laughs> yeah, um, like, I mean, I don't know how I feel about this one. Um, like, I don't know if George R. R. Martin and From Software are natural bedfellows, like mm. from softwares like their version of fantasy is so sort of like abstract and sort of detached and you know told environmentally whereas george rr R. martin's all about court intrigue and mm. um politics and um inter-character relations um I don't know, maybe they'll cover each other's strengths and weaknesses and make something really special, or else it might be a lukewarm From Software game. Yeah, I mean, have has um, I'm interested to see what George R. R. Martin's involvement is. Did they sort of touch on that? Uh, I haven't been following it too closely. Um, 
yeah i i think it's his world okay um but yeah we'll we'll see it, it looks very much like a, a souls game and you know i i love those games so i'm i'm still excited yeah but, um not 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 as excited as i am about this next game um you're sitting down dale i yeah yeah why why what uh, i'm pretty sure we've covered everything that i wanted to hear about at e3 oh no 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 there is an avatar game that is coming out holy fuck we're going back to the planet pandora do you mean jimmy cameron's avatar everyone's the favorite very same the biggest film ever yeah well the biggest franchise ever oh my god um, i am so goddamn keen for this is it going to be in 3d this game yeah yeah you will be a navi and you'll be able to live as one in pandora oh my god finally i've been waiting for this since 2011 you'll have a tail you can put your tail in animals you can put your tail in plants <laughs> is there a button for put your tail in thing <laughs> yeah <laughs> press x for tail (laughs) can i get me some of that tail (laughs) um yeah i mean this looks um yeah it'll be interesting to see what what happens yeah i'm very curious about the avatar franchise in general because as far as i know james Cameron has basically been living in a city-sized studio somewhere in New Zealand to film the next 10 Avatar films, which are still coming. Uh, I think, uh, unironically, there is four slated, and two of them are, like, set release dates. I'm sure they've slipped a little bit because of, you know, everything's slipped lately, but, yeah. And this game comes along with it. This This must have been... 2022 plus right i think it was 2022 is is the uh, film going to be out by then the next one or are they expecting I, this first is this going to wet people's appetites I, I don't know is this the entree to the the second <laughs> avatar film because i'm not gonna lie that trailer had a lot of very familiar ele- uh, elements it was it was you know nature thing then a couple of ships that looked like, like they were ripped straight out of the Alien franchise start dropping some bombs on the nature things. Um, I mean, that that's a, that's Avatar, but I was kind of expecting that we'd have our horizons broadened a little bit for this. Well, it's, it's hard to imagine, but there was a time where Avatar was the biggest movie in the entire world by a considerable amount. Oh, it is and again. Then- it is again. Yeah. Um, yeah, because Endgame uh, is no longer the highest grossing anymore. Uh, they did a re-release of Avatar in China last year, which caused <laughs> it—I'm not kidding—to become the highest grossing film of all time once again. Um, it's so strange. It is so strange. <laughs> well, we've got that to look forward to in 2022, when we'll all be cosplaying as Navi once again. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, and I guess we're on to any um, non-A3 news that you wanted to talk about? Uh, the sort of biggest niche thing that I've managed to stumble across in the last few weeks is there's a third edition of Warhammer Age of Sigma that's just been released in the last week um, with the Dominion box, which is sort of a big box starter set that's got the new rules in it and two large armies, which is um, sort of the biggest news in the hobby space at the moment um it's kind of playstation 5e where you know this big expensive box has been announced but no one can actually buy it anywhere (laughs) because it's a 
just immediately being bought up and is now being hocked on eBay at a ridiculous markup. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to try and get my hands on the, the rules at least so I can have a read through. I'm a, a sicko that likes reading rules for games that I'll probably never actually end up playing. Okay, so I know heaps about Warhammer, but for just anyone that's listening, um, what is Age of Sigmar's third edition and how does it differ from its second edition? Well, from well, first of all, Warhammer Age of Sigmar is a tabletop war game. Um, you build armies out of miniatures, which you paint yourself, and then you go down to your local game shop and you put your army on a table and roll dice at someone else until all of yours are dead or all of theirs are dead. Um, I'm being like a little bit facetious there. Like mm-hmm. there's like very sort of elaborate rules around you know uh different sort of campaigns you can do and different sort of missions with different objectives and how you score those so um yeah from the little bits that i've seen on youtube of people that have actually managed to get the box and have reviewed it it seems like the changes in rules are seem to be more tweaks than sort of seismic shifts in how the game actually functions um but yeah the sort of bigger news is like this comes with um pre or new models um which uh from what i understand games workshop tends to like recycle models quite a lot um even in between editions like you'll have a bunch of goblins from 20 years ago and as the editions change they'll they'll still be there but they'll have different names and have different rules attached to them um but yeah, there's there's new sculpts and they look pretty cool. Oh, cool. So um, is this like a little bit of a WoW classic thing? Because the last I heard, Warhammer was right up in its 40,000th edition or something like that. So this is kind of a reboot in a way? Well, it's uh, it's got like a couple of different games um, under the Games Workshop banner. So there's Warhammer 40,000, which is their sci-fi version. And then Age of Sigmar is like their classical fantasy version. Okay. Um, so yeah, it, it's closer to world of warcraft than uh the 40k stuff is but they've also got like smaller games um like uh necromunda which there's just been a video game released for which has been getting sort of interesting reviews Mm. um there's uh warhammer warcry which is like an even smaller scale version of um warhammer age of sigma and there's blood bowl which is the game that i'm playing at the moment um where it's a warhammer fantasy football game okay yeah i've i've played a little bit of vermintide where's that fit in this whole picture i think that's warhammer classic flavored but it's like you know that the the mechanics of that game it's just sort of taking the the lore from the um franchise rather than trying to imitate any of the games from um the tabletop games okay cool yeah well i guess um with the the news done let's see what are we playing in this segment of the show All right, so it's what are we playing the segment of the show, and I'll tell you we're both going to have Fez up on the list because that's uh, today's episode. So uh, that's a freebie. We're both playing Fez, and more on that in a moment. But um, aside from Fez, Tom, what have you been playing? To be perfectly honest with you, I've been so flat out um, with work since the last episode. The only thing I've really had time for is my my old go to mobile game Clash Royale. Um, yeah, cool. Which it's a uh, got a new unit in the last 
week or last two weeks, um, which is a drill, um, which drills all the way to the other opponent's tower and releases goblins, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah, cool. Kind of uh, Mario um, Galaxy style there. Yeah, but uh, the game that I've sort of had my eye on that I'm trying to make time to play is the um, new Inkle game, Overboard. I don't know if you've seen this one. No. Um, it seems to be sort of an evolution of the sort of Inkle style of games where um, I don't know if you've ever played um, 80 Days or their sorcery adaptations. No. Um, but they're sort of like, usually they do like choose your own adventure style, um, like very clearly inspired by like the old fighting fantasy, literally, you know, choose your own adventure style books. Um, but sort of adapting adapting them for screens. Uh, but the new game um, sounds very, very interesting because it's almost like a reverse whodunit um, where you're on a ship and you're the murderer and the object of the game is to try and, like, pin the murderer on someone else on the ship and seems to be, like, a sort of very open, uh, freeform narrative game. Right. So is this based on um, the Goldie Horn and Kurt Russell version of Overboard, or is it based on the Anna Faris um, version? Um, I couldn't tell you. I, I haven't seen either of those films. Uh, I, I presume it's just a coincidence that this is called Overboard and is set on a ship. Um, right. But uh, don't don't quote me on that. All right. Now, what are you playing, Dale? Uh, I mean, I also haven't had a ton of time to play anything but you know, a little bit of Fez. I uh, tried to get back into... Well, not get back into. I, I'm going to go and play The Last of Us. Um, so I managed to, uh, you know, speed run to Dead Daughter Percent. Um, I seem to have done a pretty good job of that um, in the standard 15 minutes, which uh, the best time is 15 minutes and the worst time is 15 minutes. There's not a lot of actual play in that. It's mostly cutscene. Um, yeah, I guess it depends on if you're using a glitches run or not. I think you can, like, roll through a wall and get to a dead daughter a bit faster. <laughs> yeah. Uh, look, I really, really would like to play that. Um, uh, but, yeah, I, I also have been quite busy with, um, you know, with my work stuff. Um, and, you know, there'll be... Uh, I've been doing some VR research for work too, so maybe that'll come up in a future episode where I start talking about some virtual reality games. Um, but, yeah, uh, so watch this space, I guess, as far as what I'm playing next. I'm about to adopt a new game. It might be The Last of Us, but also I'm really looking forward to playing... Uh, you know what? I can't remember the name of it, so never mind. Yeah, no, I'm excited for that one too. <laughs> Real classic. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, uh, that's it for the rather disappointing what are we playing of the segment of the show? <laughs> the answer is nothing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And now it's on to the, uh, the Fez section. What do we call this section again? Doctor, doctor, give me the news. I got a bad game that needs to improve. So how can I fix these game reviews? All right, it's all about Fez. So this week we played Fez to see what makes it tick, whether it still ticks, what if it's still up to its old tricks, and whether or not it's good. Um, still good. I mean, it was good the first time. I'm pretty sure it was good the first time. Um, I played on Switch. Tom, how did you come to yours? Uh, also on Switch. Okay, cool. I think that's what actually uh, kicked this off, is they did the Switch ver- version, and 
I said, you know what? It's been a while since I played Fez, and uh, you can imagine the rest of the story. Uh, like my favourite Stained song. Yeah. Wait, wait. It's been a while. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> It starts a little like uh, my favorite Bare Naked Ladies song. <laughs> so the trick for Fez is that it's got a perspective shift in it. Um, if you don't know about this by now, then I just just pause the podcast and take a quick look at the trailer for Fez. I'm sure it will spoil what its trick is immediately. Um, look, it's a good trick. It still works. Yeah, and it's um, not a trick I've seen anyone try to ape. Which, um, yeah. usually there's like a, you know, pretenders to the throne when a sort of indie smash hit comes out like this one. But um, maybe just everyone saw Indie Game the movie and saw what a terrible time uh, <laughs> everyone that worked on it had and didn't want to go through it themselves. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the, the um, creators were, you know, uh, mired in controversy and filthish quite publicly, suddenly left the games industry um, after a few Twitter spats around this. And, um, you know, I feel like, you know, a little bit sorry for the guy in some ways, even though he did, um, you know, obviously uh, attract uh, some of the wrong attention with some pretty outlandish sort of stuff to say and all that sort of thing. But, you know, nobody really deserves that level of scorn and dogpiling. Um, yeah, no, it's. Uh, I think the moral of that story is just don't use Twitter. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, but either way, uh, the game itself, I mean, it's gorgeous. It still looks really nice. Um, the trick works still. Um, and just to go over the trick again, um, just in case anyone needs a refresher, it's basically the game's in a 2D perspective. You push the left bumper or the right bumper and you can turn the perspective so the camera will turn 90 degrees and now the world is you know rotated but because it's rotated you can now see uh the other axis in a 2d way so you're basically mode shifting the entire level and it has four modes one for north south east and west um look this is a really really effective trick um you know you could argue that it's been done before, but I don't think it's ever been done this effectively, and it certainly hasn't been done since. Um, you know, the the thing I could tell as far as it goes is there's it's basically just orthographic, and it's rotating you 90 degrees at a time, and then it appears to be moving our little character Gomez, with the who wears a fez. That's where it gets its title. Uh, the fez is what Gomez's fez, his little red hat is what gives him the ability to shift perspectives somehow. Look, the game oozes style, and, and um, yeah, the, the mechanic seems to be that it moves him forwards to the foreground whenever it can, whenever he's not being occluded by another object. Um, that was as far as I could tell. Yeah, it's be, it'd be very interesting to see where the actual sort of, like, collision boxes are when you do a rotation like that, and um, sort of how they, they sort themselves. Yeah. It's it's interesting um, when you. I'm just gonna say uh, you know give a bit of time for spoiler alert uh, before anyone you know goes any further or maybe we should go further before we do the spoiler alert. Um, what do you reckon? No, I think it's a ten year old game. Um. All right. 
Okay, so I'm definitely going to spoil something that happens at and after the ending. So at the end of the game, once you've beaten it and you do the new game plus, it allows you to, it, it gives you a look around the world mode. So you can actually see the 3D geometry in its natural sort of first person state. You can go and inspect how the level looks in 3D space, um, which I didn't know about the first time I beat it, but uh, I tried it out this time. Um, and yeah, it's cool. Um, it's definitely just, you know, really standard 3D, some nice, um, orthographic cameras and just, yeah, like I said, I think it's just moving you forward to the nearest collider at the front. Um, it might, it might scale the colliders backwards and forwards. Uh, I have a feeling it might do that. Yeah. So can you tell that there's like a separate, is there a different collider on each face of the the world and it like swaps between them or are like all the colliders just active at all given times like <laughs> how 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 much insight did uh this fresh perspective give you it didn't give much insight on like where the colliders lie obviously they they, they were still hidden but um <laughs> yeah <laughs> as you could imagine but it does give you uh you know enough to be able to sort of linger and see how it it's constructed in 3D, which you only kind of briefly see. And you, you can gain, like, an awareness from playing the game. You become pretty good at picking what um, it's actually laid out as in 3D space. But just being able to see it a little bit does give you some ideas about what happens. I noticed a few times when I was playing it, too, that the reason why I noticed the pushing you forwards gradually thing... Um, was because I actually managed to trip it up a couple of times by being remaining partially occluded. Um, and, uh, yeah, I'm, I did a bunch of stuff where I was jumping, and while I was midair, I was rotating just before I hit the ground, and then I'd sit on the same ground and then hit the rotate button once I was there. And it seems like it instantaneously snaps you forward at the moment that you rotate. Right. Provided yeah, you're no, not that, occluded. That makes sense, yeah. yeah. But you don't notice that you've teleported because everything's kind of moving um whereas if you come out from behind a ledge it seems like it lerps you forward um yeah like i guess the transitions like i like quite a nice sleight of hand um yeah because it does give you that moment where you know you can shift things around um like from the system side of the game but all the player really sees is whoop yeah yeah look it it's a great trick um and I really would like to give it a go at some stage. I feel as though maybe one of the reasons why nobody else has tried to ape this is because uh, the comparisons would just be like mounted so he like they'd be heaped on you so much. It's very difficult to put this into something else without it also being Fez. Yeah, though um, you know, never underestimate the the shamelessness of <laughs> game developers. The did you like this game? Well, here's a game that's basically exactly that thing actually yeah there's um there's a game called bug story on the switch which all it does is actually is it called bug story it's called something um uh, I, I might figure this one out um is that the rpg one yeah 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 bug fables that's it yeah um so it looks exactly like paper mario um but notably the last couple of paper marios haven't been much like the first couple of Paper Marios. And don't get me wrong, like, I really liked Origami Kingdom. It's the best non-RPG Paper Mario that they've made so far. Um, but 
I just, you know, I, I was happy. Bug Fables, it's going to give me the old formula, even if it's just a rendition. You know, uh, that's fine. That's what I want. It's <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, like you mentioned before, the I can't think of anyone else that's done that for Fable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's true. So for Fez, it'll it it'll be oh not Fez Fez yes. <laughs> no, you're right. Um, it it yeah, it hasn't really been. Yeah, I'm surprised too. I I really want to see. Um, it's it, it'd be interesting to see what you could mix it with. Um, so let's talk about the style of the game because it's um, you know it's really interesting. It's got like a it's got a sort of pixel art look. It has a really um, sort of show don't tell kind of way of of fitting together. It's it's kind of uh, the soundtrack is amazing um, and it's sort of famously very ambient. Yeah, it um. Like, one of the things that it sort of reminds me of is Shadow of the Colossus. So sort of, you're exploring these, you know, viney covered ruins and, you know, you've got this sort of open blue sky nintendo feel to it. And it's, uh, it's yeah, like, ambient is a, a good word for it. Hmm. And I'm, I'm glad that they didn't try to do anything else with it. Um, it's very restrained in that way. Yeah, I really like that it kind of paints this weird sort of maybe alien owl cult type thing in there and you know, there's yeah. kind of an ancient civilization threaded through. Um, there's clearly a a time-looping Gomez-like thing where he's like the hero of time and he's got an older doppelganger that's passed the fez down to him at the start there and you know like all of these things are kind of hinted at very slightly but not really hammered at home and it's never really pushing anything too heavily at you but it's kind of hinting at a lot of things yeah that's kind of like the from software storytelling we were talking about before Mm. where you know the the environment is the most important thing and the thing that you learn the most about the lore of the world from as opposed to you know characters telling you things about it yeah yeah and it it really is a free-for-all when it comes to roaming these worlds um and i'd say after a while it does kind of feel a little bit less like it's kind of storytelling through environments and more like kind of offering up a series of puzzles uh the greatest of which is the map now I am really torn on this. I both times that I've played this game, I've found myself reluctant to figure it out and then finding it completely invaluable by the end, but I'm not sure that it's very easy to read. It's definitely necessary and I can't really think of how to make it much better. What did you think? That's the sort of like nodal map you get in that screen, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's like it's a difficult game to backtrack through mm. um like when you're sort of moving forward through the game it all feels very sort of organic and um you know it's the that joy of exploration but then you sort of reach points where you go hang on i need another thing how how did i get here and um yeah yeah the yeah the the portals aren't super clear um yeah it's it's that sort of moment when um you're you stop sort of moving forward organically and you have to it's like that uh 
that Jerry Seinfeld joke is you know you're in trouble when you're following someone and they like stop and look around and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's yes yeah um yeah really weird like the, I, and you're exactly right I think the first six cubes are fairly easy one the uh, first 16 cubes in this are fairly easily won um the next 10 become quite difficult and honestly like getting to the 32 requires um you know really heavily relying on the map and figuring it out and while that is cool and perfectly fine it does feel weird that you can get more than halfway without kind of you know developing that that relationship with the map without having to learn to read it properly yeah yeah and because it is such like a core part of the the game it's you know you're you're almost treasure hunting right you yeah you want the game to teach you how to do that yeah did well maybe i don't know how how shared my experience is there but i i definitely found that you know i didn't start reading the map heavily until i got to maybe somewhere in the late teens early 20s as far as cubes go yeah well i i think i discovered it by accident but just by pressing the wrong button on the controller and um yeah no it's uh like i dislike tutorials in games like i like games i can sort of teach you how to play through the mechanics but um yeah it felt like fez missed that part yeah yeah it's it's really weird because you know you get that thing with the mobile games that hold your hand a little bit too heavily at the start there and they'll be like hey did you know that there's a map here if you press this pause button and the game will stop and an, an arrow will float towards the pause button because it'll make you hit that and it's like yeah now you can rotate the map a couple of times and see it from different perspectives and it'll make you press the rotate button a bunch of times and then yeah all right now select the one that you can do and every other button's grayed out and you're like okay that's really you know that's the real strong arming style and uh and then this is the stark opposite of that it's like hey there's a map did you know like you yeah like um i think it was a talk with ed mcmillan where i remember him sort of talking about the the first few levels of super meat boy and just sort of the way that they're laid out um teaches you how the game works Mm. um like there's no sort of you know press this button to jump it's there's a platform there we're going to assume the player is smart enough to you know press the jump button and then you know there's another jump there but it's like not quite far enough for them to get so then they have to learn how to do another move to get across that gap and then by the time they finish those first few levels they've sort of got the toolbox of skills that they need to face all the other levels in the game yeah from memory they did really heavy threes there didn't they they kind of went easy medium hard easy medium hard with pretty much every mechanic um and i mean it it, it's a solid trick it works really well i think super meat boy's got one of the greatest um learning curve difficulty uh curves that i've ever played yeah and i guess it's like tough it doesn't quite translate to a game like fez which is sort of more about puzzle solving than it is about you know mastery of a mechanic um like super meat boy is but you know the the map is part of the mechanics of the game and you know there's there's nothing really uh giving you that that introduction to it yeah yeah it takes takes a long time just to just to figure out how to read it and then by the end of it you can't do without it and it's weird too because it feels like a skill that you've acquired 
I mean, it's rotatable as well, which is somewhat uncomfortable. It takes a little while to figure yeah. out that because it's not quite the same as the levels being rotatable. It's There's no use other than to reveal like a different shape of the map. Yeah. <laughs> which, especially in the early days is not really useful in the slightest but then you can rotate it a few times and then you're like okay I, i'm starting to feel out what the map's kind of like in 3d i don't know what the right answer was uh, i don't think they quite got it but yeah yeah and you know like i mean maybe this is us being too hard on the map like so that's sort of one of the sort of core philosophies of fez does seem to be this sort of you know, the game almost as a, a toy like you know there's codes and puzzles and you know you're rotating around this world almost as if you're like you know rotating like a you know puzzle in your hands and you know maybe the map's just another piece of that that puzzle that you need to discover but it's yeah it doesn't seem as integrated as the rest of the game that uh, that's actually something that kind of made me laugh a little bit because there's uh there's two qr codes in the game and <laughs> like you know 10 years ago that would have been genuinely novel and not a lot of people would have known what to do with with that but you know nowadays that's just what's on every table at every restaurant uh it's something you have to scan on the way into every building uh to yeah, let you just them know that you're tagging and tracking and <laughs> yeah yeah that was it was kind of funny uh so you know yeah, it's another way fez was ahead of its time yeah so those were two very easily won uh anti-cubes there <laughs> Um, I was also impressed, like, at how well the rotation around the world works, like, um, with that sort of pixel art style, mm. like, one of my sort of pet peeves is games that choose a pixel art style, but then rotate the pixels off the axis that pixels would appear on. Like, uh, Stardew Valley does it when you, like, cut down a tree and the tree, like, falls over, but they, they don't sort of maintain the, you know, angle of the, the pixels that make up the art, and that, that always bugs me. But, uh, you know, even as you're sort of rotating around the world, like, it all sort of maintains coherent. Mm. Yeah, have you ever seen the game Voxatron? No. You haven't? Okay, so it's no. it's really cool. Um, So I was always kind of peeved by the... The Minecraft thing where it's like, you know, all of the animals and creatures are all cubes as well, except they're on they're a completely different grid. They are kind of voxel yeah. art, and they're way off axis. But there's a game called Voxatron, which, um, yeah, I do recommend checking out, uh, where everything is on a, I think it's a 128 by 128 by 64 3D grid like pixel grid the whole game renders to that pixel grid and all characters rotate through it and it is like strictly a voxel game in that you are always looking at the same grid and it's just phasing them in and out and the creators of it were like you know we we would love for there to be such a thing as a 3d display that has a 128 by 128 64 game that uh or ability so that we could actually play this game because they've designed it with that physical limitation and then they just render that limitation and even the ui is within this space like the whole thing it's just one of the greatest commitments to a a kind of thought experiment and it's the most hardcore dedication to voxel art that there is um i recommend it and all of the games for it come as like cartridges as well so like 
people have made their own games for it. Um, those guys went on to make the Pico 8 virtual console. Yeah, which um, you know is kind of famous for being where the original Celeste came from. Um, but yeah, uh, so Voxatron, I would kind of... It's, it's a great experiment. The games that they've done for it are, you know, like they've got a couple that they've made in-house, which are you know, Zelda likes and they're okay. Um, and there's some interesting fan games... Um, yeah, it's it's just a really fun little uh, creative sandbox that they've done there. I recommend checking it out. I will. All right, so cool. Um, do we have anything else to talk about with Fed? Uh, no, other than I'm, after having spoken about it, I just want to go back and start playing it again. <laughs> I'm half wondering whether or not it'd be worth going back to get the other 32 cubes, but I have heard that some of them require like following along to some real-life... Uh, uh, LARP sort of thing like it's got that what do, oh. what do you call that with the um the role playing thing where they do a outside of game puzzle oh that is LARPing it is yeah okay. yeah live action role playing yeah so the, there's a few pieces that I've heard are in that and it took years for them to find the last cube or something like that yeah I know that's like I'm a, usually a completionist with that sort of game so yeah no this might end up killing me cool <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to it um should be yeah it, it was really really fun uh revisiting fez um overall i give it a fez out of 10 yeah i give it a fez and a half all right cool um yeah i would like to see more from that uh you know obviously there there would need to be um you know the the great um walking back or acceptance of uh phil fish into the community and again and all that sort of stuff i don't know i feel like enough times passed i was never really that um that worried about it anyway yeah yeah let's, no, let's, don't, don't put a lot of uh stock in twitter drama no no um yeah everyone let phil fish work on fez 2 um i want it that's my my argument <laughs> I want the thing, damn it. You too, Breath of the Wild 2. Be this year. Alright, cool. Um well I guess that's um that's everything for this one. Uh so we actually cut off an episode in order to do this episode beforehand, and that is uh Tom's uh awesome room game design, which I'm actually very much looking forward to. But yeah, as we've both been incredibly busy with our our jobs, we haven't had the time to edit that and figured we'd get this e3 reaction in while it was still piping hot yeah no that that does remind me i do need to get that uh the rules for that room game onto itch.io <laughs> absolutely yes and uh we didn't have any real way of knowing that e3 wasn't going to be that piping hot altogether really in the end probably could have made a guess yeah actually <laughs> yeah, maybe um no but it's it's cool um if you had to pick out of the all of the e3 stuff what your most anticipated or what you think will be the most interesting from a mechanics point of view uh still the avatar game yeah <laughs> with the tail mechanic yeah <laughs> um, i'm gonna tail so many things i'm looking forward to seeing all of the groundbreaking new play styles in mario party the it's just the old mario parties game yeah too too much mario party yeah Let's see if we can't take these already incredibly unreliable Switch controllers and just bust them right up. <laughs> All right, well, I guess that's the episode. So uh, until next week, I've been Dale. I've been Tom. And so you catchphrase. Um, games ahoy! Toot toot. Games ahoy! Toot toot. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.